It was a good day, right, man? Did you have a good time? Whoa. Uh, that was the first time we had ever done that, obviously. And uh, I saw Art make a diving touchdown. That was awesome. I made a touchdown. That was pretty incredible. Uh, I saw the young cat, uh, Ryan and Jacob, just playing it outstanding. I saw a hidden talent in Jared I never knew existed, which is the fact that he can throw a football. Ah, so it was pretty good, kind of like uh, Uncle Rico, but it was, it was good. It was good. Y'all doing good? Oh, come on. Y'all doing good? Y'all should know by now, when I say you guys are doing good, you got to be loud. You got to be as loud as you can. Uh, welcome back to church. Today we're starting a new series called uh, Arise, and it is going to be uh, kind of lead us into the Easter season. Now we're just taking a break from the, uh, the First Corinthians uh, sermon series we're going through right now. We're going to walk through verse by verse of the book of First Corinthians. We've been doing it since January, and we're not even down to, like, we haven't passed chapter one yet. And so uh, it's going to be a, probably about a two-year sermon series, but so we're going to take frequent breaks along the way, uh, kind of like when you do road trips with your kids. You got to take frequent breaks along the way. And so this will lead us into Easter. And speaking of Easter, uh, if you haven't done so already, if you don't know about it, we're having a big Easter uh, service here, kind of like every other church in town that should be doing. And so we're going to be doing a big Easter service here uh, after service. It's going to be barbecue. Uh, we're going to have jump houses in the back. We have some games set up for the kids. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. It's going to be free. we got some briskets coming our way. Woo! Brisket. Uh, probably get some sausage rolling, maybe some hamburgers and hot dogs. And it's going to be a good, good time. And we want you guys to come to that. I want you to bring family and friends to this. And I want you guys to do your best to invite lots of people. The other thing that we want to do, uh, you guys look great, by the way. Oh, my gosh. Just like, wow. The other thing that we want to do is we want to do baptisms. And so if you've recently surrendered your life to Christ and you haven't gone through that step of baptism, or maybe you've, you've never been baptized before, and maybe that's something that, you know, you, you gave your life to Christ a long time ago, and you know, maybe you were baptized as a child, as a baby, and you didn't understand what was going on. I mean, the, you know, you were dunked or whatever it was. And you want to talk about that, come talk to me, and, and we'll handle that. If you want to get baptized, what a better day to do it than on Easter Sunday. We've been doing baptisms on Easter Sunday now for like three or four years in a row. And what a better day to do baptisms than the day of Christ's resurrection. It's a day that symbolizes new life. This is your new life of Christ. You're getting uh, buried in death, alive in Christ in baptism. What a better day. So if you're interested in baptisms, we have a very limited, uh, little limited amount of time to kind of get together, but please get with me on your connection card circle. I want to be baptized. Drop it into the offering basket. I'm still tired from yesterday. Drop it in on the offering basket on the, uh, at the end of service, and we'll go ahead and take care of that. So please join us Easter Sunday here at Impact City Church. It's going to be great. It's going to be a good time. Getting back to the, to the message, ADB pastor here. Sorry. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke. If you don't have your Bible, it's going to be on the, screen, uh, on the seat in front of you, on the screen behind me. It should be on Facebook as well. And while you're there, you can go ahead and check in, tell someone you're here at Impact City Church. So you can look it up in one of three ways. Or if you're old school, you got scrolls, you want to go through the scriptures that way, you can do that. You got papayas paper written it on there, it's all good. So when we think of Calvary, when we think of the place where Christ was crucified, it's very easy for us to kind of focus and only think of the one cross, the cross where, where Christ was at. 
It's easy for us to just kind of, kind, of, kind of just lose sight of everything else and just focus on him. And rightly so, because, I mean, he's Jesus and he deserves that. And especially in this Easter season, as we're talking about the crucifixion, we're talking about the death and burial and the resurrection of Christ, we think about the cross of Jesus. But there's so much more to the story of Calvary than just the cross of Jesus. In fact, uh, Scripture says it like this in Luke 23. So we're going to be today. Luke 23, starting in verse 32. Says this. Says there was two others. Says two others who were criminals were laid away to be put. Were led away to be put to death with him. That's Jesus. They were laid away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they were crucified. They crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. So there was three crosses that day at Calvary. Three crosses, and each one of those crosses held up a different man. And each one of those men who was being crucified on the cross was dying for different reasons. They were all dying because of sin, but they were all dying for different reasons. Those two guys are up there who were dying because a, um, they were dying as, as they repented in one of two ways. Two men, they repented one of two different ways in relationship to sin. The third one, which is the cross of Jesus, will show us what it takes for us to die to sin in ourselves. That's why he died to sin. And so each week we're going to be covering a different cross leading up to the resurrection of Christ. So this week we're going to be looking at the cross of the rejecting thief. One of the thieves that was on each side of Jesus was going to reject Jesus on the cross. Next week we're going to look at the the thief who accepted Jesus and surrendered to Jesus that day on the cross. And so these two guys are... Well, up there, close to Jesus, one rejects and one accepts. I think it's, it's, a, it's a story of our lives. That when we walk through our lives and we think about our relationship with Christ, we have one or two choices. We can accept or we can reject. That's exactly what's going on here. Uh, but you might be thinking to yourself, how can someone be that close to Jesus and still die in his sin, right? I mean, this guy was literally feet next to Jesus in the most probably the most like, intimate, you know, emotional state that both of them could be in, and yet he still rejected Jesus upon that cross. How can a guy do that? And the truth is, is if you, any one of you guys was to die tonight apart from Jesus, you would be eternally separated from Jesus, and you will die in your sin just like the guy on the cross did. And so it's real for us today. It's real for us to look at this, and when we look at the two people on the crosses that are next to Jesus, we have to put ourselves in one of each, you know, each one of these categories. We have to say, are we the guy on the left or are we the guy on the right? And then in the last week, we're going to look at the cross of Jesus. And I'm actually going to go into other characters of the story. And I'm going to show you guys nine different characters of the story of the cross of Calvary. And I want us to ask ourselves, which character are we in this story? Who do we relate to? And how can we learn from their mistakes or their, their, their achievements? What can we do there? See, Christ is available to you and to me, and he's ready to forgive you. But if you die apart from that, the truth is very plain and clear. You are separated from him for eternity. It's true. I'm thinking, oh, crap, man, we're in one of those, like, you know, hellfire and brimstone. It's not going to be one of those type of stories, but it's getting there. Because it's true. Apart from Jesus, if you are not following Jesus, you are going to hell. Eternally separated. That should send chills down your spine. We talk about this a lot. The gospel. The gospel is terrible news before it's good news. Because the, good, the terrible news about the gospel is that it reveals how sinful we are. The good news about the gospel is that it says no matter how sinful you are, 
Christ still loves you. And I love that. I love that about the gospel. So here's my three points. In a typical Baptist fashion, I'll give you three points. I think there are three reasons why people die in sin. I think there are three reasons why people die apart from Christ. Three reasons why people who are not in Christ will die and one day just be eternally separated from Christ. There's three reasons why people die. The first is this. Death in sin comes, if you're taking notes, because of your unbelief. Death in sin comes because of unbelief. Look at verse 39 with me here in Luke 23. Luke 23, 39 says this. It says, One of the criminals who were hanged riled against him, at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Have you ever done that to someone? Like, like here's, here's the thief. He's up on the cross, okay? And he starts yelling at Jesus. And he's like, if you're the Christ, you should save us. And you should save yourself and you should save us. Have you ever done that to someone? And you say like, hey, if you're really that good, you would prove it, right? That's basically what he's saying. If you're really who you say you are, like, like I was always say to people, if you're really that good of a guitar player, you need to play Stairway to Heaven. Because everyone, every good guitar player knows their way to heaven, right? You know, Zeppelin, you know. And so, like, if you're good, you can play that. Like, if you're good, you can play Eruption by Van Halen. If you're good, you can play all these, you know, you can play guitar solo. If you're good, you can, you can tune with your ear. If you're really good, then you can do this, you can do that. That's the definition of someone who knows what they're doing. There is proof in that. But there's another way. Maybe it's, maybe it's a football player. Hey, if you're really good, you can throw the football over that mountain like Uncle Rico. Like, if you're really good, I know you can do that. And that's what we ask people. Hey, if you're really as good as you are, prove it. I'll tell you what, I did not know Jared could throw the ball that far. Oh, my gosh. I, I was like, what, what? Like, what? Dude, you know, like 50 yards. Boom, boom. Tony Romo, nothing. And so, yeah, some of you guys are like, yeah. So this criminal is what he's doing to Jesus, right? That's what this criminal is doing to Christ. He's up there on the cross, and Jesus is hanging there, bleeding out, dying. And the criminal looks over, he kind of smirks, he goes, hey, you know, if you were really Jesus, if you were really the Messiah, you would save us. You would prove it by your power. You would show us the awesomeness of, of your divinity, and you would, you would save us from the situation we were in. You see, that's what unbelief does to us. Our unbelief rejects the saving power of Christ. It questions it at every turn because in reality, you do not believe. It's exactly what this criminal was saying to Jesus. This criminal was looking at Jesus and he was thinking, this guy, is, he's just another guy. This Jesus that everyone is ranting and raving about, he is just another guy. He might have been a good teacher. Yeah, I give it, that, give it up to him. He could probably preach really well. He might have been a good person. Yeah, I've seen him you know, feed the hungry. I've seen him do all this stuff like that. He's probably a good guy, but he is darn sure not the Messiah. He is not the chosen one, because if he was the chosen one, he would bring himself off the cross and save us off the cross, and he wouldn't go through this. You see, the Jewish people at the time, they did not believe Christ was going to be, that the Messiah was going to be this guy who came and died. They thought the Messiah was going to be this great, powerful guy. And so to see this guy with the sign that says, King of the Jews, crucified, bleeding out right next to you, you look over and you say, I don't believe in you because if you are who you say you are, you wouldn't be in this situation. That's what unbelief does. Unbelief causes us to reject 
the saving power of Christ. I don't need this. There's no way that's really true. It can't be that good. To the thief, Jesus was obviously not the guy who he thought he was. Unbelief also questions us, makes us question the claims of Christ. The thief was saying, if you want me to believe in you, if you, if, if you want me to believe in you, you must prove your claims and free us from the situation. There's always a catch, right? If you want me to believe in you, then you must prove it. That's what the thief is saying. If you want me to believe that you're Messiah, get us off these crosses. The thief wanted Christ to save his life, but he had no concern about his soul, his sorrow, or his sins. It was all about what you can do for me right now. Jesus, help me right now, and I'll believe you forever. What can you do for me right now? See, many times we want Jesus to do something so big in our lives so that we can believe in him. But we fail to understand that he's already done the most important thing that he can ever do for us. He cannot improve on dying on the cross for our sins and our salvation. You can't get much better than that. He died on the cross and arose from the grave for all of us in this room today. You cannot top that. He's paid the price in full. There was nothing left for him to do. It is done, as he says on the cross. And yet we want more, right? We always want more. We want something more. It's not just enough to live with him in eternity and be obedient and follow in, in, in whatever he wants us to know. We want more. We desire the life that we feel like we deserve, that we feel that we need to have. If you look at the scriptures, if you, if you look through whatever Christ is saying in the scriptures, it is clear what we deserve is not that life that we think we deserve. No, what the scripture says is this. If you, what we really deserve is death for the sins that we have. We'll get to that in just a little bit. That's what unbelief does in our hearts. Unbelief rejects the saving power of Christ. Death and sin comes to us in another way, though. Death and sin, this is number two, our death and sin also comes because of our unconcern. Because of our unconcern. Look at verse 39 again one more time with me. One of the criminals who hanged, who were hanged, riled against him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now that word railed or riled or whatever you say, because I'm not smart enough to know how to say that word. However you say that word in the ESV is poorly translated for what was really going on here. Like the, the translation dropped the ball. It, it, it took a, a, whole, like a whole sentence and put it into one word. Other translations use this one word and they make it into a, a whole sentence here. It says that, another translation says, one of the criminals also hurled insults at him. Another translation goes on to say that they heaped abuse on Jesus. Other translations say they began to yell insults at Christ. Other translations go on to say they were speaking evil on him. They were just yelling on him. They were insulting him. And the other translations say that they blasphemed him right there on the cross. In other words, they were cussing and cursing at Christ on the cross. They were laying curses on Jesus. You see, God sent his one and only son to the cross to die for all of our sins so we can have everlasting life. But yet many of us are too busy being angry at Jesus in order for us to surrender our life to him. Just like the criminal, 
He was too busy yelling and cursing at Jesus to see that the real thing that he needed was right there next to him. And I don't know what made him mad at Jesus, but there's a lot of things that make us mad at Jesus, right? Can I get an amen? Sometimes we get frustrated and mad with Jesus. Maybe Jesus didn't answer a prayer for this guy. Maybe he was a young kid. He wanted a prayer to be answered. Jesus didn't answer it for him the way he thought he should. Maybe he didn't make this guy rich and successful the way he thought he deserved to be. Maybe he didn't save one of their loved ones when they, when they were sick. Maybe his mom was dying or his dad was fixing to die. and He prayed, God, please, please, God, I will follow you forever if you would just save my mom's life. And just like that, the final breath was taken from her. And he had unbelief and anger in his heart. Maybe he didn't do, maybe Jesus didn't do what he thought Jesus should have done in his life. And because of that, he was angry at Christ. We all can be angry at Christ for some reason or another. We all have reasons that, that make us angry at him. And there's, there's other reasons, too. There's other reasons why we can be angry at Christ. And that is this. And maybe you see someone who claims to be a Christian but they don't act like a Christian. And because of that, you say there's no way that that person can be as good as what they claim to be. And God cannot be that good. If that is the picture of what God makes, I want nothing to do with it. And you're angry at Christ because of that. And because of that anger, you want nothing to do with Christianity because you've seen Christians do God-awful things to each other. Did you know that the Christian army is the only army that kills its wounded? I've heard that saying before. That we're the only army that puts the people down that are hurting the most. That's not right. I don't think we do that much in this church, though. But that's not right. I mean, maybe you know Christians, that some Christians who are the ones that they push out the divorced families from the church. Family's doing good. Everything's great. Divorce happens. And then for some reason, the, the church pushes the families out. Oh, you can't serve no more because you're, you're divorced. That's not right. Maybe you're, you've seen the Christians who, who tip poorly at restaurants. They come in after church, and everyone's all happy because the sermon was all good. They go down to the restaurant, they go to Chewy's, and they get their burritos, and everything is like five people. By the way, if you want to go to Chewy's after service, you want to treat me to that, I'm good. I'm open. My schedule's open. And so you go to Chewy's, and you don't tip, and you leave a track, and you say, Jesus loves you, but you're not willing to give that waitress a $10 or $20 tip. That's a really poor representation of what a Christian should be. Maybe you're a Christian, you, you gossip about other people all the time. You're one of those people in the church that you, you think you're all high and mighty, but you cannot help your lip from burning with gossip all the time. You talk about everyone. And maybe you conceal it in the, uh, the prayer circle. Like, I want to pray for this person. They're going through something. I can't say, but it's really bad. Like, that's gossip. Now you're, now you're like, oh, it's questioning about people. Maybe you know a Christian that has excluded the homosexual from the church. The young teen in the youth group that is struggling with something, and you say, oh, well, we can't really hang out with that person very much because you know how they are. That's wrong. Maybe you know someone like that. Maybe you know a Christian who lives their life in a way that looks just like the unbeliever's life. And they claim they're Christian. We know them. We see them all the time, whether it's at the workplace, at school, and they say they're Christians, and they believe in Christians, but their Instagram and their Facebook prove otherwise. I know I follow you. I, as a pastor, I do not look at Facebook or Instagram on New Year's Eve because that is the one night I do not want to know what everyone is doing in my church. It is bad. That's already, I'm, I'm not even going to look at it. I'm not even going to look at it. Especially when New Year's Eve is Saturday night 
and Sunday morning no one's in church because they're hungover. I do not look at it. And so that's what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I don't know why this criminal was mad at Christ, but he was so mad at Christ that he was cursing at him. He was so mad at Christ that he was hurling abuse at him. Something made him mad. And because he was angry, he wouldn't accept the fact that Jesus was his only hope at that moment. His anger blinded him. Not only was he angry, but he was selfish. And he was unconcerned about other things. He was so selfish, so full of anger, he was only thinking about himself. The thief was unconcerned about anything except himself. This thief could have cared less about the fact that Jesus had done nothing wrong. And yet he was still suffering the same fate that the criminal was. He didn't care the fact that Jesus was perfect. He didn't care about that. He was unconcerned. See, Satan is a master of blinding people from the truth. He's able to take your eyes and throw scales over them and blind you from the truth. He can put a little bit of pride in your heart to blind you from the truth of Christ. He can put a little bit of anger in your heart to blind you from the truth of, of Christ. He can put a little bit of jealousy in your heart against someone else in the church to blind you from the truth that that person really does love you. And that's what happens. That's what, how he drives wedges through the church. See, many people believe that because God is such a loving God that he will just, you know, forgive everyone, everyone gets into heaven. That we don't need to go through all this stupid junk about salvation and all that. That's Satan lying to you. Many people believe also that, that when we die, that's it. There is no other afterlife. That's Satan lying to you. Other people believe that, that they are so bad that Christ wouldn't want anything to do with them. See, that's, that's Satan lying to you again. You can be as bad as you can be. be the worst of sins. Christ's blood is sufficient enough for that. There's nothing more. I mean, that's, that's the truth right there. The truth is this. That God is just, he's fair, and he loves you. He wants nothing but the best for you, and the best for you is Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than that. And we can get angry at God. We can get selfish and prideful within ourselves. We can even get hurt and feel uh, just hurt as if God let us down. Sometimes in life we get hurt like that. But one thing that we must always remember is that God is for us. He loves us and he has made a way for me and for you. But death and sin can still come, though. Death and sin is still on its way. It still happens. Death and and sin happens because of our unbelief. It happens because of our unconcern. And finally, if you're taking notes number three, it happens because of justice. Death and sin happens because of justice. Let's keep reading along in verse 40. Verse 40 says this. After the one thief is yelling insults at Christ and cursing at him, the other thief on the other side of Jesus says this. It says, but the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Hey, so, hey I know you're yelling at Christ. I know you're, you're talking to him. Don't you, aren't you scared? Because you're going to end up just like him. You're going to die in just a little bit. You're under the same condemnation that's about to happen. Don't you, aren't you scared of God now? And then look with me closely at verse 41. I love this right here. She said, We indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man, 
talking about Jesus. But this man has done nothing wrong. The other guy on the other side of crisis, he's yelling across, across the, across the cross, across the cross. And he's saying, are you stupid? I mean, we belong here. We're thieves. We deserve this death. This man has done nothing wrong. Aren't you scared of that? Don't you, aren't you fearing God at this moment? How can you say that to this guy? He says, we deserve this death. Justice is being served. The thieves were receiving what they deserved for their sins. The fact that they broke the law. The thieves had no reason to complain. The laws of justice were in action. And the same goes for us. The exact same thing goes for us. Our sins will be dealt with justly by fair and loving God. In fact, <coughs> in fact, the punishment for sin is clear in Scripture. Romans 6.23 says this, is for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The price of your sin is death. And here's a newsflash. We all are sin sinners at one point in time. We were born with a sinful nature. All of us. So you say, well, I'm not as bad of a sinner as others. Listen, it took one sin to mess up the universe. I remember, I, I think Matt Chandler said that best. So it took Adam sinned one time and it screwed up the universe. Do you think that you're any less important than that? If you're one sin, it's just as powerful. The payment of sin is coming. Galatians 6, 7 says this. Do not be deceived. God is not to be mocked. For whatever one sows, so he must also reap. See, church, you can see why it's so important. You can see the importance of your life here. The fact that, that sin is real and that the death and payment for sin is real should give your life purpose. I'm not telling you that, that, that you're, you're here and your purpose of life is to become great and successful and, and live a happy, great life. I'm telling you that the purpose of your life is a rescue mission every day of your life to rescue those who are lost. If you're not telling someone about Jesus and the gospel that, that of, of a loving Savior who loves them, then one can argue the point that you really don't love that person the way that you should. It's true. Because to love someone is to guide them and steer them away from, from danger. If my son was to be playing in the street, and he says, I really like playing in the street, Dad. I'm like, well, just go do whatever your heart feels right. Follow your heart, son. That would make me an unloving father. But he says, I really like playing in the street, Dad. I mean, I love it. I mean, my heart longs for this. And I would go up and say, son, you're going to die. Sin is coming like a freaking freight truck down the highway, and it's going to get you. And I would just have to tell him that. Now, I can't make him get out of the street. But all I can do is tell him, and hopefully he walks out. That's the same thing we do with our loved ones, our friends and family members. You cannot make someone come out of sin. 
There are people in this room today, I've been telling them about sin every day that I can. And you're doing it wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, and they keep going back and back and back to it. But I still love them. I love them the first, like the first day I met them. That's all we can do is keep going back and telling them, that's wrong, I love you, Christ loves you, you know you shouldn't be doing that, but it's okay, God still loves you, you gotta get out of that life one day. It's gonna, it's, it's gonna kill you. There are many people out there, and maybe a lot more in here, like I said, who are like that thief. You're like that thief. The Holy Spirit of God is, is telling them and they're telling you right now maybe one day like, that today is the day. Like, today is the day that you should be surrendering to me. But you just start thinking to yourself, you know, I, I really just, I don't really care about Jesus right now. All that Jesus stuff, I don't really care about that. Maybe they're saying that. Maybe there's that coworker that you know that just keeps pushing and rejecting Christ all the time. Maybe they're saying, uh, yeah, you know, that's just not, that's just not a really good time for me right now. Like my business is going really good, and, and, and my life is going great. I got lots of soccer practices to go to and football practices for my kids. I don't have time to devote my life to Christ. So if I devote my life to Christ, I'm not sure what I'm going to have to give up. And I'm not sure what Christ is offering is anything better than what I already have. That's the unbelief in your heart. And maybe you're trying to tell the gospel to someone and, and trying to lead them to Christ. And they say something like, you know what, uh, you don't understand how bad I am. Like, I've done some really messed up things. And, like, I've, I've taken some pretty messed up, uh, you know, I've made some bad choices in my life. You don't understand how bad I am. Or maybe you're the type of person that you're thinking to yourself, I'm really mad at Jesus right now. Like, I, I pray for him to save my mom. I pray for him to save my dad. I pray for him to save my child who was dying of cancer. And he didn't. So I'm kind of ticked off him right now, and he wouldn't want anything to do with me. Listen, if that is you, you may not believe that you need salvation right now, but one of these days you'll have to stand before God in heaven, and you will believe at that point. But by that point, it'll be too late. See, your family members and your friends, the people around you, your neighbors, your community around you, they might not think that they need salvation right now. They might not believe in it. But one day, they're going to be standing before Christ. And on that day, they will believe that they need salvation. But on that day, it will be too late. This is why we share the gospel every day of our lives. This is why we share the gospel to the thieves. This is why we share the gospel to the broken, to the hurting. This is why we share the gospel to those you feel unloved. This is why we share the gospel to those you feel like they have no direction in life. This is why we share the gospel to the orphans and the widows. This is why we share the gospel to those who are persecuted and, and, and just expelled from the church. This is why we, we preach the gospel to everyone who is, who is in need of it. That's why we do it. To those who are on the cross, whose death is imminent, their sin has brought them to that point. This is why we preach the gospel, because at that cross, God can still work a miracle. Church, this is why we don't give up. Everything you do matters in light of the gospel. Everything you do matters. Your story matters. What's your story? Have you ever thought about that? What's your story of the gospel? How has God transformed your life? What is the story, what is the thing that you tell people to say, look what God did to me. 
What's your story? Your story matters. Your service matters. How do you serve the church around you? I'll tell you right now, our children's ministry is skeleton crew right now. There are many of us who need to jump in line and say, I will take that responsibility. I would, I would, I would step up and do that. Your service matters. Come Easter Sunday, we probably won't have enough people to take care of all the kids in that children's area. That is not a problem that, that is, uh, that's a big problem for us. Because we love our kids. Amen? The kids in that room are the future of this, this nation, the future of this church. And it is up to us to disciple them, whether you are married or single or don't even have kids. That is our responsibility right there. Your service matters. The way you open the door matters when the guest comes in. You know the fact that if a guest comes to church, they probably decided whether or not to come to church a few times before they finally worked up the courage to come into the church. And for them to walk through the door, have to open the door themselves, not be greeted by anyone with a smile, not know anyone, not be, said, not be told hello and guided around and, and helped out. The fact is that that person will probably not come back. And that person will walk away and say, you know what? These Christians said they're good, but I went to church once. Now I'm mad at God because these Christians aren't who they say they are. Your service matters. Your offerings matter. When we pass the basket, we do online giving. That matters. It all matters. Your attendance matters. I say it, I I used to always say this. If I was a guest and I walked into a church and there was five people in the seats and the church was this big, nice church, I would think if the people aren't willing to come to church, why would they be willing to invest in my life? And I would walk right out. Your attendance matters. The energy you bring into the room when you worship matters. Your attendance matters. Finally, everything you do matters. Your life matters. Preach the gospel to those around you. And for the, for, for the sake of their lives, preach the gospel. Because you must accept God's free gift of salvation while you're living. Because after you die, it's too late. That's why it's so important that we do all that we can do to everyone who is alive right now. We have got to preach the gospel while people are living. Let's remember this. As this Easter season begins, let's remember to be inviting people to church. Do your best to share the gospel with people around you. And like we always say here, invest and invite. Don't just invite someone. That's that, that, that's very shallow just to tell someone you need to come to church. If you really want to, to make an impression, invest in that person. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be you taking cookies to their house. I don't know if it's going to be you, you know, cutting someone's yard and, and leaving a you've been impacted card there or you hanging out with, say, you know what, let me, let's go out for dinner tonight. You know, you're a coworker. Get your wife and my wife together. Let's go do something together. Invest in someone and then invite them to church. And it makes the world of a difference. And if we all do something like that, I guarantee you we will see many guests this Christmas, I'm sorry, this Easter season here. I promise you that. Maybe you want to join, and, uh, join us for Gather and Scatter. We're going to do a Gather and Scatter uh, uh, Friday the 14th here at the church. We'll gather here like around probably 5.30, 6 o'clock. We'll gather, we'll pray over uh, some door hangers, and we're going to scatter. I don't know where we're going to scatter to, whether it's going to be here locally, or I'm going to ask you guys to go to your neighborhoods and, and, and apartment complexes or whatever it is and just scatter out door hangers and invites to uh, Easter service. Do that. Do this with me, church. Because death and sin is real. We have got to fight it. We've got to acknowledge it. And we have got to preach the gospel. Let's pray.